Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for September 27th, 2017. Baseball season is winding down. We're only going to have a few more of these left because is, is next week the last week of the regular season, Matt? I think the regular season's over on Sunday. Oh, really? Is it already Sunday? Oh, well, I'm very excited for the baseball season to end because the end of the baseball season we've talked about before is just kind of ridiculous with the way that players get rested and just pinch hitters and the extended bullpens leading to all the lefty-righty matchups that leads to more pinch hitters. So we're definitely coming down the stretch here. We'll be back football tomorrow, and then uh, we've got basketball and hockey season starting soon. But So for tomorrow, I think one thing that I want to bring up right before we start is that the Cubs game is currently ongoing. If the Cubs end up winning tonight, it means they clinch the division, and then they're almost guaranteed to be resting pretty much all the regular starters, which would make Michael Waka just a really strong play at 7,200 for tomorrow. So I'm just going to start with that. But with that said, we don't know what the situation is going to be. Maybe the game will end while we're doing the podcast and we could update it. But as of now, I'm just going to assume that the Cubs are going to lose because they're more likely to lose than win, which means that Waka is more of a marginal play. So we'll start. Luis Severino, 12,400. Missed his last start after getting hit, or I guess didn't really miss it, just got moved back after getting hit by a line drive. Starting today against the Rays, 12400 Matt, what do you think of Severino? I think Severino's pretty overpriced. He probably will have some sort of restriction. We don't have full information on this yet, but there probably is going to be a restriction there just because the Yankees have basically wrapped up, I think they have actually wrapped up the number one wildcard spot. They could still technically win the division, so they have a little bit to play for there. But it's a pretty long shot. They they basically have to win every single one of their games, and the Red Sox have to lose every single one of their games. So I don't think the Yankees are really looking at the division. I think they're trying to set up their roster to make a run at the World Series through the wild card. But even if Severino was on a full workload, I think 12,400 against a Rays offense that is pretty good against righties has a lot of power against both sides, but... They strike out way less against righties, and they're just better overall against righties. I think it's a sort of tough matchup, maybe a neutral one, but that price is just a little steep for him. And then with the potential restriction, it's just it's too much to pay for him. Yeah, definitely. And then the other thing also is, just like you said, the Yankees are expected to start Severino in Game 1 of the Wild Card Series. Something Matt and I were discussing, it's probably not the best idea for the Yankees starting in Game 1. They should probably go pitcher game, but we won't get into that now. Uh, I mean, a bullpen game the Yankees should do for the wild card game. But the Yankees look like they're going to be using Severino for game one of the wild card. They're very unlikely to, to let him go super deep into this game. I think this is more of just a thing, let him get his work and let him throw pitches. I think we probably see him go like five, six innings, around 90 pitches or so, and they'll probably take him out just to make sure that he's completely, fully healthy, rested, ready to go for game one of the of the uh, or the only game of the wild card play. And so... Because of that, that price for him at 12400 that's just kind of a stay away for me. And then we kind of have interesting decision, because like Rich Hill, 11100 that's way too expensive for him. So then it's kind of like, what's the best of the rest? The one guy who I definitely think is a really good play is Garrett Richards at 7900 Just no doubt against the White Sox, one of the weaker teams against right-handed pitching. They strike out a ton. Richard's price is only down because he's been working on a pitch count since coming back from injury, but he's pitched really well in the limited innings. His velocity is still really good in the high 90s, and he did work, I think it was 90 pitches in his last game. So he's probably going to be unrestricted in this start, 
And even if he is, he's still going to be allowed to throw around that 90 pitches. So him at 7,900 against the White Sox is pretty easily the top pitcher play on the slate for me. Yeah, are the Angels mathematically eliminated? I think they might still have some chance of closing in on the Twins for the final spot. I think the Twins might have clinched it with their win over the Indians on Tuesday night. So yeah, I, the the, uh, the Angels are five games back now, so they're they're not officially eliminated, but they're not making the wild card. Right, but at the very least, they're still going to play all their guys. They're still going to try to win. So there's no reason that Richards is going to pitch less just because it doesn't matter. They're, they have everything left to play for, even if it's unlikely. I think they'll still try in the same way that they would if they had a 50-50 chance, just because there's no reason to give up yet when they're going to have a whole offseason to rest. Uh, the pitch count for Garrett Richards in his last start was 85. And he in that start, he went six innings with only one hit allowed, one walk, and six strikeouts, no runs. And Richards has been slowly creeping up in terms of pitch count for each of the starts he's made since coming off the DL. So I think 90s is reasonable for him. I think he could just be fully unrestricted for this start. The White Sox also might rest some guys. Abreu and Moncada have both dealt with injuries. I think they both missed Sunday's game. Uh, maybe maybe it was Monday's game, but they both played Tuesday night. I think Yolmer Sanchez left the game with an injury. It's possible we don't see a full White Sox lineup just because they have nothing to play for. They might rest some guys. They might not. But either way, they're a below-average offense that strikes out a good amount. They're not a terrible offense. They've actually been sort of decent for the year. I think they rank in the low 20s in WRC+. But that's just too cheap for a pitcher as good as Richards in any matchup. I think we actually considered using him five days ago at Houston against the Astros, and he wasn't that much cheaper than this. Gary Richards has been one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy in the last few years. So if he's unrestricted in this fairly easy matchup, it makes a ton of sense to use him and Unless Michael Waka is facing the Cubs' backups, I think he's the only really good pitcher value on the slate. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's the only really good one because there's one other guy who I think is probably a pretty strong play in Danny Salazar at 6,400. Terry Francona said uh, earlier in the week that the reason Salazar was making one more start prior to the playoffs was because Francona really wants to make sure that Salazar and all of the starters are stretched out and ready to go for any possible situation in the playoffs. So that leads me to believe that Salazar is going to be working not too restricted for this game. There could still be some restrictions, but I think it's pretty likely we see him go five-plus innings because I think the Indians want to make sure that he's good to go in case there's some kind of crazy incident where Trevor Bauer cuts his finger on a drone or something like that. <laughs> like I think they just want to be prepared for anything. And if there is one team who has to be ready for one of their pitchers uh, cutting a finger off with his drone, it would be the Indians because it's happened before. So I think Danny Salazar at 6400 that's just a ridiculously cheap price for Salazar against the, the Twins hit right-handed pitching pretty well. But Salazar was, I think he was priced like around 13000 as recently as a month ago. Is, does that seem correct? Is, is my memory wrong? Or no, I think he he's been one of the highest priced pitchers all season because he's just really good and he's got one of the highest strikeout rates in baseball. So if he's pitching even close to unrestricted, yeah, I'd forgot, forgotten we talked about him before the podcast, but it's a pretty decent matchup. And Salazar is an elite strikeout pitcher, just very good overall. Um, he's pitched a little bit poorly in these sort of shortened starts. His most recent one was okay. He gave up one run in two and two-thirds innings. But 
there's so much upside there for that price if Salazar is unrestricted. So we will need to monitor that. But from what you're saying, it sounds like Salazar is going to be at least three quarters of the way to unrestricted. So that's probably the second best pitcher to use after Richards. And I think there's just no one even close in terms of value to those two guys. I would still definitely say Richards is number one because we're more confident that he'll have a full workload. But Salazar at number two, I think, is a pretty obvious choice. And then uh, our number three guy is a lot cheaper. Do you want to go there or can we ignore him because he's too bad? No, I think Jordan Zimmerman's too bad, even though the Royals are the Royals are sitting Lorenzo Cain tomorrow. They're sitting Salvador Perez tomorrow. They're also expected to rest Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer at other points in this week, and Whit Merrifield as well. So it is possible that all of those guys sit for Wednesday because they've been eliminated from the playoffs, and they just want to give their veterans time off, and they want to give some of the young guys they called up some playing time to finish the season. So with that said, even if all of those guys sit, I'm still off Zimmerman just because he's that bad. But as we talk about the offenses, I'm going to be off the Royals, even as bad as Zimmerman is because of how many guys that the Royals are expected to be sitting tomorrow. The only other guy that I really want to talk about is uh, Michael Walker again. I still think that he's a marginal play, even if the Cubs have all of their guys active. But if they do end up sitting guys, then I would have Waka as my second favorite starter behind Garrett Richards. And Salazar's number three, but Salazar two and Waka three, assuming that the Cubs don't clinch the division tonight. Are there any other starters that you think are rosterable? No, definitely not. So if you're going to play this slate, and I do think it's a pretty messy one unless there's all that value on Waka, but if you're going to play it with Waka facing the Cubs starters, I think it kind of just makes sense to go all in Richards and Salazar because there isn't really a strong value other than those two. Okay, so we'll get into the offenses then. And so now something we have to talk about is if our two favorite pitchers are Salazar and Richards and the other, other the only other pitcher we're considering is Waka, we have an enormous amount of money to spend on offense, basically unlimited funds. So which offense do you think has the highest expected run output on the slate? I think it might be the Angels. Well, in terms of the Vegas line, it looks like the Yankees, but... I think Matt Andreese is being underrated just a bit. He's been kind of decent this year. I'd call him probably an average starting pitcher, but I also don't think he'll pitch very long in the game. So the Yankees having to face more of a bullpen should lower their overall expected output. So I'd say it's close between the Yankees, the Angels, and the Indians. And I think I'll give the edge to the Angels, although we actually don't have a Vegas line yet for this game, so I can't use that to inform my decision at all. But... I'll just sort of guess that the Angels should have the highest expected run total. Yeah, I I agree with you because I said this to you before <laughs> we started the podcast, so I'm really just agreeing with myself because you were agreeing with me. You really love to agreeing do with that. Me. <laughs> we're so, just agreeing we're, in a loop. Yeah, exactly. So I'll bring up the same numbers that I was telling you about Ronaldo Lopez before. Uh, so we were pretty high on Lopez coming up just because he had so much strikeout upside and was really cheap when he first got called up. And the strikeout upside has not materialized at all. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez has strikeout 4.97 hitters per nine innings this year. He has a 4.54 ERA, a 4.78 FIP, a 5.91 XFIP. He has a total of two strikeouts across his, th- his last three starts, which is uh, 19 and a third innings pitched. He's just been very bad. The White Sox have an awful bullpen. The Angels have a really good offense now that they've acquired Justin Upton. They've added Brandon Phillips. 
So I just think this is such a strong spot for them. The other thing I want to check really quickly is if there's going to be any win for the game. Uh, but if I was to rank those three offenses, I would go Angels 1, Yankees 2, and then Indians 3. But I think all three are in play. Just the Indians a little bit farther behind just because I don't think that their offense is uh, – it's, it's hard. Against left-handed pitching, I don't think their offense is as good as – the Yankees or the Angels offense against right-handed pitching kind of going back and forth in my head right now, but no, those are, those are still my rankings. Angels one, Yankees two, Indians three. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I'm a little bit torn on Yankees versus Indians because, well, also we don't know the starting lineups yet. And both of those teams pretty much have nothing to play for. I think it is a little bit of a boost to the Angels that they do technically have something to play for because we can be more confident that their regular starters will start and probably stay in the game for longer. Uh, just bef- well, I have, I have the velocity numbers up for Lopez. So he was throwing 95 miles an hour when he was first called up. He was a little bit over 95 in his very first start against the Royals, which was actually the only good start that he's had. His most recent start, he was down to 92.6. It kind of makes sense that a younger pitcher would fatigue. He hasn't pitched that much in the majors, but he's been pitching in the minors all year. I think it does make some sense that Lopez has just gotten progressively worse throughout the season because he's a young pitcher who's not used to throwing a ton of innings. And um, I think that's definitely a big negative indicator. So to expect Lopez to be as good as he was even just a month and a half ago is a little bit foolish in my mind. And he hasn't even been that good overall anyway. So I like the Angels because they're facing a pretty overrated pitcher. The White Sox also have a really bad bullpen. And the Angels actually have something left to play for, which I don't care about from a motivational standpoint, although it definitely doesn't hurt. But uh, just the fact that the guys will stay in the lineup for long, be in the lineup to start the game and stay in the game for longer, I think is at least a bonus there. The other thing I'll say about Lopez is he had to go on the DL with a back injury. And I think his lower velocity coincides with the back injury. I don't think that they would let him pitch if he wasn't fully healthy. But with that said, I think at this point of the year when you have fatigue and then that topped with the injury and then him having to take time off, I think it's reasonable to think that it takes some time to build strength back up. So I just think that it's probably going to be not until the beginning of next year that we see him really back to full strength. So I definitely think that that back injury, even if it's not the back injury itself that's affecting his velocity right now, I think it's kind of indirectly affecting his velocity, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And uh, I have an update for us because the Cubs are now down 8-7 in the top of the ninth and got the leadoff man on. Wilson Contreras is on first with Ian Happa against Juan Nicasio. So this could change the outlook of the slate. I don't think that we'll stay on the air for the rest of this game because even if the Cubs take the lead. on On the air. On the air. That's a that's a radio term. If you didn't if you didn't know what that what that means, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll stay on until this game ends. Because even if the Cubs score, the Cardinals are going to have to bat, and we'll probably be sitting here for another half hour just announcing our view of the MLB app. While I don't I don't know, it's going to be really boring. So let's let I'll just reiterate that we may end up using Michael Waka because the Cubs could win, and if they win, then they won't play any of their starters. Uh, but as far as offense, that probably covers it. I don't think there's anyone really to talk about. I'll mention the Nationals because they do have a really good matchup against Mark Leiter. But they're resting guys so regularly. And Bryce Harper also isn't expected to play full games the rest of the year. I actually don't think he's even supposed to start every day. So it's probably more 
unlikely than likely that he's in the lineup for this game. And even if he is, he may only play half of it. So I think you can safely ignore the Nationals, although because there's so much money to spend here, so much extra salary, and because Mark Leiter is so weak of a starting pitcher, I think using guys like, well, Trey Turner's the one that jumps out because shortstop is a tough position to fill, and Turner's really good for DFS, at least, at fantasy points. So Trey Turner batting leadoff against Leiter, I mean, maybe that's a plug for that game. But overall, I don't really like the Nationals' spot just because their lineup is usually pretty messy. Uh, at least it's been that way for the last couple of weeks. No, I agree that Trey Turner is he's definitely good at doing fantasy points. A uh, <laughs> little, little update. Ian Happ struck out, so Wilson Contreras on first, one out. Addison Russell pinch hitting for Leonis Martin. I don't know how Leonis Martin ended up on the Cubs, but these are things that happen at the end of the baseball season. Wasn't Martin on the Mariners like very recently? Yeah, I think he was in a waiver deal either. I think it was less than a week ago. This is very recent. They have not What's had Leonis Martin. The trade? What is the point of the trade deadline in baseball? Like there were so many trades after the trade deadline this year. I think something like ten percent of the players are not allowable for trades after the deadline like most players can still be traded in the waiver period but some of them can't i don't know exactly how that works but not all the players are eligible once the actual trade deadline passes so it's the trade dead it's really the trade deadline for some players and yeah. is but it's that's the only sport that's like that there's not there's not in the nba there isn't the trade deadline but people could still be traded for the next couple months after that. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. It's the only sport where hey, we have the trade deadline, but you could keep trading players afterwards because because why not? Baseball's weird. I don't know. We we're we're not happy with baseball right now. The players are stupid. The forty man rosters are stupid, and the trade deadline's stupid. They really need to make some rule changes. If there were only twenty five man rosters in September, then we would probably be a lot better at playing DFS baseball in September. So we should really lobby for that change because it would help us a lot. And also, they shouldn't let trades happen after the actual deadline. Well, first, because it's just silly, but also because that makes for more annoying things in terms of DFS. So all of that is just nonsense. I think baseball should... Hopefully, they're listening to this podcast and will make the adequate, the adequately necessary changes based on what we're saying. Yeah, for sure. They're definitely listening. If... if uh, if nothing else, Bud Seelig's probably listening, and he used to be the commissioner, so... He 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 has the he can get the word out. He has so enough he, public. He, he has he has enough pull. And Addison Russell strikes out. So who's coming up for the Cubs now? Jason Hayward. Be, uh, Jason Hayward, who's already homered once today. So he's so, hot. He's probably gonna hit another one. I, I know you were gonna make the joke. Sorry, I cut you off and did it first. So we'll we'll stall for one more batter because maybe we could find out the real status of the Cubs with one more hitter. So I guess one other thing that I'll bring up real quickly while we're here is that uh, Dwayne Wade is signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers, so getting the band back together, him and LeBron. That is going to be such a messy situation. Like, There's going to be a point in time this year where the Cavs are going to be playing a lineup of Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, and LeBron James. For One thing is... Like, you should never build a team in 2017 under the idea of that this would have been a really good team in 2010. Like, if that's if that's the direction for your team, the selling point is, look at how good we would have been eight years ago. It, that's probably not a good direction for a team. But I don't understand how the usage is going to shake out for that team. And that's just no perimeter shooting. Like, outside of Isaiah Thomas is a, is a plus shooter. 
Derrick Rose can't shoot threes. Dwayne Wade can't shoot threes. LeBron's an okay three-point shooter. There's just no floor spacing. So see how that works out. Uh, O2 pitch now coming to Hayward. He looked at two pitches. Maybe he'll throw. Maybe he'll pull the Carlos Beltran now and look at <laughs> the strike three curveball right now. Well, Adam now. Wainwright's not pitching, so they can't. They can't really do it. I think Juan Nicasio has an okay curveball, but I might just be making that up. Yeah. Well, I, how did uh? How did how did Nicasio end up? The Cardinals closer. Where are, where's uh? He was in a waiver closer? trade. Oh, he was in a waiver trade, of course. <laughs> but he's probably a better pitcher than the guys they were using at closer before, because Trevor Rosenthal's injured and uh, Tyler Lyons. They like more as a lefty specialist, and Sangwano has been just really bad this year. Sangwano, isn't it really weird that all of the think about other than like Ichiro, most of the players that have been imported <laughs> from Asia. Have had really short-lived peaks. Do you know what I? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Hideki Matsui had a really good career, but he was good for only a little bit of it. He was just really, really good for a couple of years, and then kind but of shitty like, for H- the rest of Hide- it. Hideo Nomo, I look up his numbers. Like he was ridiculous. Let's see, what's the uh, another foul ball? By him? I think a lot of it is because a lot of the Asian players come over when they're already when they're already veterans. They're already in their 27 to 30-year-old range, and then they kind of just pass their prime immediately because they played most of their career already overseas. That could definitely be part of it, but there was some, like... Dice K. Uh, Matsuzaka was Dice, young. Like, Dice K. came over when he was 25, and I think he was really good for, like, a season and a half, and then just really sucked. So, Nomo came over um, his age 27 season, so... Yeah, so Nomo came over when he was 27. He was really good for two years and then just sucked. Wait, oh, this is weird. So Nomo came over at 27, pitched two good years, then was really bad for five years, and then got really good again in his like late 30s. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, big news. There was a stolen base. We've got to run around second. Wilson Contreras. Ballsy move. And a ball, so 1-2 on Hayward. Let's see. So Nomo had... Yeah, like Nomo and uh, well, also, I get. Can, can we just? Uh, uh, it was a little bit of luck, though. But still, solid years. Two thousand two. So he was he was well in. He was thirty five that season. Three point three nine ERA, four point one five FIP. Then age thirty six season, three point oh nine ERA, four point two FIP. So those are decent seasons. If I would have told you before the podcast started that we would be stalling for the Cardinals-Cubs game to end by looking up Hideo Nomo and other Asian players' stats, would you have believed me? Uh, I would have been surprised if that wasn't what we were doing. <laughs> that's a that's good counter, but I, I don't believe you. What about Hideki Arabu? Was he ever good? I don't think so. It's hard, though, because a lot of those guys, a lot of the guys will probably name pitched in the steroid era, so the, the stats are just weird. If Jason Hayward walks, I don't know if we can sit here and do this for any longer because then we'll have to wait a whole other batter. Oh, well, so Hideki Arabu was never good. His rookie season, he had a 7.09 ERA and a 5.85 FIP. That sounds bad. Yeah, he I was can say for sure better his sophomore season with a 4.06 ERA and a 5.19 FIP. But that's not, uh, that's not terrible for when Barry Bonds and all the steroid guys were playing. So his, uh, I mean, overall he pitched. And Jason Hayward did come back from the 0-2 count and walk. So now we 
we have to decide if we want to talk about Hideki Rabu or just leave. What do you think? I'm pretty sure that all the people are demanding it right now. The other thing also is if nobody gives a shit, they could also just stop right now because they are. if people are listening to this at this point, the only reason that we're still talking is because we're trying to figure out if Michael Waka is going to be a really good player or not for tomorrow. But you guys already know if the Cubs won or not. That's and a listen, good point. But, but if people really want to, if people really want to listen to our play-by-play here, then obviously they they can. We're not going to stop them. As Javier Baez pinch hitting for Mike Freeman. So, is Mike Freeman related to Freddie Freeman? I don't think so. They both play baseball, though. Yeah. Is that where the similarities end? They're both really good at baseball. They both made it to the major leagues. There are a lot of people who play baseball, and most of them suck at it. Those guys are in the pinnacle of the sport. It's really hard to make it to professional sports because it's very limited in terms of the number of players that actually get to be there. And also, you have to be really good. So that's that's my big insight for this podcast is that being a professional athlete seems really, really hard. It depends on the sport, though. Like, there's certain sports. Like, the people who do curling... Are they really the best? Yeah, like how probably. Many, like how many, but how many people are curling that didn't make it? Is there anybody? You're saying there's so few people trying to be professional curling players. Is that curling players, curlers? What do you think they're called? I think they're called. Uh, I think they're called curlers, and I think the barrier to entry is showing up to a hockey rink with a broom. I think. I think. <laughs> if, I, think I think if you're willing to do all those things, if you're if you own a broom. And you're able to transport yourself. To it's a not a rink. broom. It's some sort of sweeping device. It doesn't. Ha- it do- it doesn't have the little strands of whatever is on a broom. It's it's not that. You're not sweeping dust. It's ice. It's it's more like a shovel. I think. Do you remember when we were younger and we used to play curling? Is it play curling? Yeah. When we play, it. when you play in a garage in my house, you have to play with a broom because I don't have the right equipment. Yeah, but we did used to do that when we were younger. I don't even know what the. Did we just throw a tennis ball and then we would just sweep in, in front? We of definitely it? weren't impacting its trajectory at all. And was there a target, or were we just throwing a tennis ball because we thought that curling was a ridiculous sport? I think that that's probably what we were doing. There probably was One, not two a target. count on Javier Baez. This could be the end, or it might not be. Oh, we struck out. He struck out, but the app hasn't it. told me if it's potentially a wild pitch yet, so I don't know. We have to keep uh, I'm waiting. I'm going to say it wasn't because it was a fastball up in the zone. Yeah, but sometimes those get dropped. And Yadier Molina's out tonight, so it's the worst catcher. Nope, it's over. Oh, okay. Well, Michael Waka is over. not. That was a complete so Michael, waste Michael of Waka time. Michael is our third favorite starting pitcher, <laughs> not our second starting. Fi- uh, Michael Waka, number three pitcher behind Danny Salazar and Garrett Richards. He's more of a fringe play than a lock-in type play now, so... To anybody who cared to listen to this long, thanks for listening. We're doing a football podcast tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at GIRNBERGDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back with the football talk tomorrow where there will be no baseball play-by-play. Have a good night.